Hey, West Fort Worth and North Richland Hills campuses, my name is Ryan, and Rick and I are over at the South Lake campus this morning. Rick is preaching, and I'm helping out with worship. Now, I'm excited about this sermon series because we're going through my favorite book in the Bible, Colossians. We need to remember that in the early church, and even for centuries, many people did not read the Word of God. Instead, they heard it spoken. So we're going to be like the church in Colossae and just hear the word today. I'm going to recite this morning's passage, and I want you to just listen. This is Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its praxis and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or do deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May God bless this hearing of the Word. Amen. Can we thank Ryan, please, for sharing the Word of God with us. When Ryan shared with me a few weeks ago that Colossians is his favorite book and that he had made a decision to commit it to memory, I asked Ryan if he then would share our text today, and I'm so thankful he did. And especially, I'm thankful that this text follows Baptism Sunday. I'm still living off the inspiration of last weekend when 71 people were baptized into Christ. And so, to all of you at West Fort Worth and Northridge Shields, to all of you watching online, my challenge today is that you hear the message and the text today through the ears of someone who has just been 
baptized. In chapter 2, Paul has just talked about how in baptism we communicated faith in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. And what we're going to see in chapter 3 is that he's going to lay out for us what that now means to live the baptized life. I start with one of my favorite all-time stories. The husband is all into March Madness. He's just staying in front of a TV all day long. The wife says, if you're just going to watch basketball all day, I'm going to go to the mall. He says, well, you can go, but don't buy anything. So she comes back two hours later with a big dress box. I thought we agreed you weren't going to buy anything. And she said, I didn't intend to. I was just trying it on in the dressing room. And the devil showed up and said, my, you look good in that dress. The husband said, you should have said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said, I did. And the devil said, ooh, he looks good from the back too. Okay, here's the point. Baptism does not drown the devil. And to all of you that have been baptized recently across our campuses or online, I want you to know that if Satan is not able to keep you from coming to Christ, he will do all he can to keep you from coming to maturity in Christ. He will do everything he can to keep you from building a life that is rooted in Christ. And if you're going to become a rooted disciple, you need to learn how to wear your baptism wherever you go. Did you notice that all through the text Ryan shared with us, there was baptism language. You've been raised. You have died. You put to death. You took off. You put on. Paul is reminding his readers or his hearers, not just of the significance of their baptism, but how they need now to fully embrace their new you. Look again at verse 3 and 4. Your old sinful self has died, and your new life is kept with Christ in God. Christ is your life. Mature believers are rooted in the life of Christ. You see, what I want all of you to see is that in baptism, we're not just asking God to deal with our past, but we're expressing willingness to pursue a new kind of future. We can no longer live the way we used to live because we no longer live where we used to live. Look again at verse 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that word raised isn't just referring to uniting with the resurrection of Christ. Paul is even talking about the ascension of Christ. He says, Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. Now, think with me. If Christ is now seated at the right hand of God, and if your life is now hidden in Christ, where are you? See, your heavenly home is both a future promise and a present reality. There is a sense right now that all of us that have united with Christ have changed our home. Our citizenship is now in heaven. Uh, this is why in the New Testament, we're constantly called exiles and aliens and strangers. Yes, we walk on earth, but we live like people who sit in heaven. Or to put it this way, rooted 
believers give evidence of their new residence. They allow where they live in Christ to determine how they live for Christ. Or to put it another way, they no longer take fashion tips from the devil. But instead, they dress like people that have a new address. Did you notice again how throughout the text that Ryan shared, there was a clothing metaphor. Take this off, put this on. And it would have resonated with the Colossian uh, believers because in the first century, typically when you got baptized, you were given a new set of clothes. You literally went home wearing different clothes than the clothes you were wearing before you got baptized. And it was a way of communicating, you're a new you. And the new you needs a new look. So we're asking the question today, how do I dress the new me? And I'm going to share with you three things. Here's the first. You need to eliminate deeds and desires that no longer fit. You see, grave clothes belong on dead people, not on living people. In John 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he came out of the tomb, the first thing Jesus said was, take the grave clothes off him. When you are given new life in Christ, you don't wear anymore the clothes you were wearing when you were dead. Now, when my son Michael was about three or four, someone gave me tickets to take him to a Texas Ranger baseball game. So I went to a local sporting goods store and I bought him a real cheap t-shirt that said Texas Rangers on the front and the name of a player on the back. Michael loved that shirt. He wore it constantly. He slept in it. He played in it. He wouldn't take it off to the point it had holes in it. It was so dirty, Jamie couldn't wash it enough to make it look clean. We kept trying to get him to wear something else. He would have none of it. So finally one night, I snuck into his room when he was asleep, and I grabbed the shirt, and I threw it in the trash. The next morning, Michael walked in for breakfast wearing the shirt. He had gone out to the garage, gone to the trash can, and got that old shirt out. Now listen to me. If the enemy cannot keep you out of the water, what he will do is try to send you back into the old closet to get the old clothes and put them back on. When you put on Christ, there are some things you should never put on again. And Paul gave a long list of clothes that don't fit us anymore. And I'm going to summarize them into three big categories. Immorality, hostility, and bigotry. He says, you don't put on anymore lust or impurity or dirty language or anything that causes the objectification of other people. I know that is a popular style right now, but that look doesn't belong on you anymore. Or things that create relational damage, anger, rage, malice. Now, I know that we live in a culture where that's in style, where you almost signal your virtue by who you're angry at. But Paul says hostility doesn't look good on a new believer. Neither does bigotry. In a culture that practiced prejudice as normal, slave, free, 
Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Paul says we don't other other people. We don't put them in groups so that we can look down on them. We don't dress like that anymore. Now, isn't it interesting? Nowhere in the New Testament does Paul tell non-Christians how to dress. You know why? Because you can't put off your old life if it's the only life you have. But union with Christ means not only do those old clothes not fit us anymore, but it means we don't have to go to the old closet to find things to wear. We have new things to put on now. So I want to get real practical, especially to those of you who just got baptized, about how you can learn to dress for your new address. Because some of the things you've been wearing that you shouldn't wear anymore, you have worn for a long time, and it feels natural to put them on. So here's the first thing you have to do. You've got to believe that because of your union with Christ, you have been released from the grip of sin. It doesn't own you anymore. It doesn't control you anymore. Look at Romans 6, another great baptism text. Verse 4 and 6. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now, you have to start in your mind. You've got to claim that truth that your union with Christ has broken sin's power over you and cannot tell you anymore how to dress. And here's the second thing you got to do. You got to stop shopping at the places where you got your old clothes. Okay? Again, in Romans 13, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. One of the phrases that Ryan shared with us is where Paul said, put to death. And what that means is cut off the supply line. You say, man, I've all my life, I have used such filthy language. Well, are you watching constantly the kind of entertainment that uses filthy language? Don't shop there anymore. I've struggled all my life with lust. My guess is your playlist contains song after song after song that does nothing but gratify, promote, and exalt lust. Stop shopping there. Say, I have trouble with anger. Well, maybe you should stop watching that cable news channel that does nothing but exist to make money by keeping you angry. You see, we get to choose where we shop for our clothes now. Do you struggle with greed or with covetousness? Maybe you need to get off the social media platforms that constantly have you compare your life to somebody's photoshopped life. We have to be very, very intentional now. And listen to me. As a Christian, you don't get to say, I got nothing else to wear. You ever heard that? You do have something else to wear. And so you set your heart and your mind on where you sit in Jesus, in the heavenlies, at the right hand of God. And you choose to dress 
like somebody with a new address. And so here's what you do. You cultivate the virtues that reflect the new you. Have you ever seen a woman out in the yard? She's got on work clothes. She's doing gardening. She's grimy and dirty and sweating. Her hands are caked with mud. And then she looks at her watch and says, oh no, I'm going to be late for my wedding. I got to rush off to the church. Of course not. Isn't it true that the bride often spends more time the day of her wedding working on her look than any other day in her life, her hair, her makeup, her dress, because she's making a statement that today I am entering a new union. I'm taking on a new identity. I'm embracing a new future. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we are the bride of Christ. And so Paul said, look again at verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You got new clothes to wear now. In a similar passage in Ephesians chapter four, Paul said, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Did you notice how Paul says that this is a work of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit begins to renew our minds. So now listen to me, Christian, especially those of you newly baptized. One of your priorities now is to learn to listen to and be guided by the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need. You need habitation, not visitation. There's a difference. Let me illustrate. You ever had guests come to your home? Maybe they're going to spend the night. You take them back to a guest bedroom and you say, make yourself at home. Now, a little bit later, you hear noise down there like somebody's drilling something. And you go into the room and, and they've painted a wall and they're, they're drilling holes to put up pictures. And on one wall, they've put up shiplap. See, I don't even know what that is. I just know when you renovate a house, you're supposed to say shiplap, okay? What are you doing? Well, you said make myself at home, but you didn't mean that. You meant no, you just get to visit a little bit and then you get to leave. Now listen to me, all of us we got to make this decision. Are we inviting the Holy Spirit to take over the house? Or do we want him just to visit and leave? You need to ask God every day to help you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to change the place. The Holy Spirit is going to start giving you fashion tips. He will renew your thoughts and turn them in the direction of virtues like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. And you will start choosing clothes of grace. And here's why. Because you remember where you sit. You sit in the heavenlies, in Christ, next to God. And the only reason you get to sit there is because grace chose you. And when you remember that, you start to choose clothes of grace. 
Now, I've heard the phrase, don't be a so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I don't think that's possible. I think the people that do the most good on the earth are heavenly minded. They remember where they sit and they let the ethic of heaven speak to how we deal with the messiness of earth. Let me give you a very uh, powerful uh, illustration of that. In the book of Colossians, we find that later this letter came from a man named Onesimus. Okay, maybe that name rings a bell. There's a little book called Philemon. And in that book, we learned that this man Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. He wasn't a very good slave. In fact, he stole money and ran away. He met Paul. He became a Christian. Paul sent him back with a letter to Philemon and a letter to the church of Colossae. Now, you're in that house where this letter's getting read. You're hearing these words like you forgive just like Jesus forgave you. Do you think maybe every single eye turned over to Philemon and Onesimus? You see what I'm saying? The clothes that we wear are the clothes that we need because following Jesus gets messy. And the old nature handled it one way, but we're not going to live by that way anymore. We're not going to let old ways of living keep us from new ways of loving. We're going to choose compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love even when it's messy. Because we remember, Jesus chose a cross so that we could choose a better way to dress. And here's what I know. It's not easy to continually choose styles that are out of fashion with the culture. Our culture doesn't think purity is in style. Kindness is in style. Graciousness and holiness are not in style. And if we're going to consistently dress in ways that are not in style with the culture, we're going to have to spend time with people that have the same taste in clothes that we have. And so the final thing Paul teaches us about putting on the new you is this, that we need to participate in communal practices that will keep us rooted in Christ. You see, God does not give birth to orphans, but immediately places new children in a spiritual family. The decision to get baptized may have been solitary, but the rooted life is lived in solidarity. And so Paul closes our text today by reminding the Colossians, there are some practices that will set our hearts and minds on things above. And these practices we do together. Specifically, he endorses the transformative power of corporate worship. Now listen to me. Because we are so individualized in the West, we often read Scripture like it's only written to a person. Remember, Scripture was written to churches. And so every pronoun in this text today is plural. Paul is telling the church, here are some things you can do together to help you put on the new you. Like, for example, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Now, he's not talking about having a little devo in the morning all to yourself. Do that. That's a good idea. 
Start your day in the Word. But what he's talking about is getting together with other Christians and encouraging each other with the Word of God. He says, teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Get together with one another and encourage and teach and instruct. He says, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God. Now again, do you do that in your car? Do you have a playlist when you're on a walk? That's awesome. But what he's talking about is when Christians get together, we should sing a lot. He says, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. Well, you should do that every morning before I get out of bed. I pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God. But what he's talking about is get together and share with each other. What had God done in your life lately? Tell me something you're thankful for. See what he's saying? Is when we practice these things together, we help each other dress like Christians ought to dress. Now, I know you can have a church family and not be very mature in Christ. But I don't know how you could be mature in Christ if you don't have a church family. And you may disagree with that statement. You may say, I don't need a church to be a strong Christian. Here's all I can answer to you. There is no instruction on how to be mature in Christ without Christian relationships. I do not know how to go into the New Testament and give you any instruction on how to be rooted in Christ if you don't have committed Christian relationships in your life. Rooted believers do life together because in community, they experience an increased capacity to be energized by the Holy Spirit. Again, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. You hear what Paul is saying? When we get together and we share the Word of God, we hear teaching, we sing songs, we give thanks, which is one of the things we do at communion. These things open up our hearts and minds to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can set our hearts and minds on things above and remember where we sit. My brothers and sisters, it's important. It's a value of our church that we do life together. That you be in a community group. That you sign up soon for a rooted group. That you get involved in a ministry team and serve together. When we read about the early Christians, what we find out is they stayed in touch with each other on a daily basis. And one reason is because they had to decide every day what they were going to wear. We do too. And so our text closes with these powerful words. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, do it in Jesus' name. I was thinking recently, there are some psalms in the Old Testament that are called imprecatory psalms. I don't quite know what to do with them. There are songs in the Bible where people just basically say, God, would you please curse other people? Would you please let them have it? 
I'm not quite sure what to do, but there is one time in my life when I feel those psalms welling up in me. It's when I drive past what I would call, or what some call gentlemen's clubs. You talk about a misname. Those are not clubs for gentlemen. They're clubs for men who want to wallow in the sewer. Clubs where women are trafficked and objectified. And there's a chain of those clubs in the Metroplex that galled me because the name of the club is Rick's Cabaret. And I drive by and I just feel this holy anger in my spirit. I hate what is happening there. And I especially hate you would do it in my name. Everybody lean in and listen to me. You may have gotten baptized seven days ago or 70 years ago, but here's what happened on that day. You received a jersey, and that jersey says, property of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you mature in Christ, you realize that whatever you do, you are either displaying or dishonoring the name on that jersey. And that's why rooted believers live the whatever life wherever they are. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the conversation. Whatever I say or do, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. A rooted believer dresses like heaven wherever they are on earth. They are hidden in Christ. But the life of Christ is not hidden in them. And so, years ago, reading a commentary by William Barclay, I came across a story I've loved. A man in England had a terrible problem with alcoholism. In fact, he would regularly take his paycheck and spend it on alcohol to the point that his family had hardly any furniture in their home because there was no money. That man became a follower of Jesus. He began to put his roots into the life of Christ at the factory where he worked, his co-workers began to mock him for his new faith, making fun of him for believing some of the stories in the Bible, like they said one day, you really think Jesus turned water into wine? And this new believer said, I don't know if he turned water into wine, but I do know at my house, he turned beer into furniture. And here's the thing. It's hard to ignore somebody who has a new set of clothes. So whether you've been baptized for seven days or 70 years, you live this week so that anyone and everyone knows you are the property of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are rooted in his life. Tell me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to help us set our heart and mind on where we sit. By grace, we are in Christ, 
at your right hand. We are citizens of heaven, living as strangers on earth. And so God, help us to be honest about how we've been dressing lately. Holy Spirit, give us strength to take off what Jesus would never wear and put on what makes Jesus look good. Help us root our lives in Jesus. And help us to live this week in such a way that even an unbeliever could say, I know you're a Christian. I can tell by the way you dress. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.